Welcome to episode three of Teach Like a Pirate by SeaTech Podcasting. I'm Nicole Huff, and with me is Sylvia Ellison, and I'm excited to continue our conversation. Um, I know we've been setting this up by kind of reviewing that, you know, what passion and immersion were. And we talked about passion being a mindset and immersion being an action. And I think rapport is an extension of our of those two in that rapport is my actions toward or with students. And so um, if we're so thinking... It's within our classroom. Right. And I think that um, if you follow things like Danielson's rubric, the first thing we have to know is our content and how to teach it. But the second thing we have to know is our students before we can even think about planning a lesson. Right. So I think it's really uh, neat or cool how he puts um, rapport... And he talks about the relationships that we need to build with our students at the beginning or included in his philosophy. And it really relates back to passion for me because just like he mentions that we need to have different kinds of passion when we're Mm. planning and how to bring that in. If I build rapport, he talks a lot about knowing who your kids are and what they like as a way to help engage them in lessons. It's the same thing. If you're teaching content that they don't naturally fall in love with, bring in their passions, which you know by building rapport with them. Yes. Um, what I liked also about this chapter is that he he jumps into the practical with this one because he goes through his first three days. And I like the systematic approach and what he uses. So instead of spending day one just going through your rules... I which haven't is, done it in years. I know, which is why I think kids don't show up the first day of school, because who wants to sit through seven or eight classes listening to what we can and cannot do? But right. his methodology is a way to, um, and I think that we're going to see that through our quotes today, is his way of getting to know students, right. but them getting to know him. Sure. But then he he's really sneaky about teaching procedures, teaching things, skills that are going to need, like collaboration uh-huh. and cooperation those kinds of things that he kind of embeds. He integrates it, right? Or integrates. Yeah. That's Either way, yes. yeah. I would get my kids up and moving on the first day. He uses the Play-Doh thing. Uh, I like that play Which idea. I like that, too. I felt like they have set for so long, as you mentioned in so many other classes, that if they could do something like a mixed pair share, where I was going to ask him some get-to-know-you questions, but I made them, I would play music like he does to set the mood, Mm -hmm. and pause it, and they had to walk while the music was playing. And whenever it paused, they had to find somebody near them to answer a question about themselves with and have a little conversation so that they would talk and they would move and they would hear music. And I would ask them some kind of off-the-wall questions too, like if you had a million dollars, what what's two things you'd buy with it? Just two, I don't want to know the rest. Or, you know, right. to find some sort of wacky answer that just wasn't what they would normally share well, and I could start to build some And the Play-Doh idea is so easy now because, I mean, you go to the Dollar Tree and probably uh, get yeah. six for a dollar if you get the little... Um, birthday ones right and sure. I just like the idea of that one because it's creative it's independent so you don't you know have that it uses the other side of the kids mind yeah there's so and much it's stress free you know if, if I am feeling stressed out about something I can just spend some time squeezing the thing before Correct. I start melding so um getting back to our protocols and finding the quotes um this was I, I want to just let the world know how interesting our brains think because we chose once again two quotes that there weren't this case they weren't the exact ones but they were connected. Yours was like the original quote and mine was the result of the quote. So it was almost like we we kind of bookended our thoughts. Yes. Um, which I always think that you know great minds think alike kind of mentality yes. here that we were actually having some 
great thoughts on our own. And so I think putting them together on record is going to be really powerful. Putting the quotes in conversation as we sit in conversation. So to remind everyone of our protocol, so we are using Lectio Divina, which the practice by monks had four steps. Uh, It was literal, allegorical, personal, and a call to action. With us, what we are doing is pulling a quote out of the chapter that we see as important and then discussing literally what he has set up here in the context of this quote and then in the real world so in our own classrooms and in classrooms we've seen how do we see this quote playing out and then a call to action based on that of how could we do more for our kids and and help students right and so um our quote is coming in um near the beginning of the chapter the first one we want to talk about um in on page 21 yes there's a little offset quote and it's right next to that and it says building rapport is all about interacting with your students as fellow human beings not just subordinates and i starred that and out to the side wrote time outside of the power dynamic is important that it's not always i am the teacher and you are the student the literal here is what do I know about you as a human being? I am a human being too, you know? It's that I am a mother, not just a teacher. I am a wife as well. Oh, you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You play soccer. You took piano lessons, so did I. You know what? We uh, both were classically trained or, you know, I'm terrible at improv as well. It's the ways in which neither of us like asparagus or uh, (laughs) how you relate to somebody that you would meet in a social setting or something like that rather than as a you will listen to me because I am your teacher and I think it's funny because he continues on that kids can tell the difference between the teachers who only care about them when they're sitting in the classroom to what I underlined was those who see past the quote-unquote student to the unique person who resides within or resides inside and in my notes I actually wrote that this is um, a teacher learning ways about their kids so that they can be empathetic or they can show empathy mm-hmm. that uh, rapport is not just about getting along knowing them to get along but it's about building a relationship right. um, my husband often did not understand in years past why i had to go to so many baseball games or <laughs> right and i said honey you don't understand i have five baseball players in my classroom and he goes right but that's in your classroom like and i said no you don't understand when i go to baseball games it lets them know that I care enough about them so that when we get in the classroom, they'll care about me. So for me, it was a a strategic move before I understood this philosophy, right? Right. So I think sometimes sometimes teachers um, are unconsciously talented. And I think this was one of those moments I was unconsciously talented. I saw that when I went to, that they changed. Mm -hmm. That if I showed up, then they showed up. Um, And now being consciously skilled... I know what I do and how the impact is going to be. Sure. So when I have con- and and this past year even I didn't have to go to many outside things. It was about seeing them in the hallway and saying hello. It was about um, having conversations about their home life as much you know because right my kids weren't involved in extracurricular things like baseball. Well, and so I am in the media center. I am now sort of entirely in an extracurricular space. Uh, because if it's not a class that has come in, if it's during their lunch, I am spending lunch with these kids every day. Right. 
And I made those connections there. And, you know, this is the, you mentioned the unconsciously talented. I'm the daughter of a teacher. And so I always heard my mom's favorite saying was that I've heard repeated in many books since. They don't care what you know until they know what, that you care. Yeah, I think Maya Angelou quoted that. And I think that's the tr- truth, too. But it, it's not fake caring. Like, I can't pretend that right. I care. They can see through that in a heartbeat. Yes. But I, but I, that's where I think I came back to my comment that if we see the unique person who resides in each kid, then we are able to show empathy when mm-hmm. they're struggling. We're able to give. We give them an apple when they just sit with their head down because we know that the problem is not that they want to tune you out and are mad, but rather that they're hungry. Correct. Uh, we figured that out based on some of their behaviors and what's right. going on because we know our kids. Yeah. You know. And I think that um, I always, when I talk to new teachers and veterans about this, it's, it's about getting past judgment and getting into curiosity. Mm-hmm. Right? That if I'm, um, and I think Sabrina Gates is the one who taught me this, that it's not about approaching everything through the front door, but um, think about your neighbors. Your neighbors usually come in through the side door. Right. Mm -hmm. Or your back door is open always to them. And they're the ones who kind of just come in and hang out on the couch. Uh, And so I think sometimes our students, when we want to we want to engage them academically and they're not, then instead of coming through the front door and just slamming like a bull in a china shop. Here's another zero. Why aren't you doing blah, blah, blah. We've got to turn around and go in that side door and say, hmm, I wonder what's going on in this kid's life right now, because. Their life is not like mine mm-hmm. growing up. Um, I'm the, so glad that I don't have to live through the hardships that they're having to live through. Mm-hmm. Be, and so... Um, it's I the keep, honey come have a conversation with me. Yeah. Um, and or And or noticing the signs that make me see, is this a point to a, a time when I need to offer conversation or when I just need to offer... A, a granola bar right. because they're hungry or a bottle of water because they're angry. Mm-hmm. Um, a bathroom pass so that they can go walk off some of these jitters or... Correct. You know, is this a time when I need to bend the rules a little bit uh, to provide a safety net? Um, I always think of this in terms of my church. Uh, we have a homeless ministry and I, I know that I've heard people go, I can't believe this. You know, I can't believe these people are sleeping in church. And I, I have this kind old gentleman that sits one row, one or two rows behind, usually where I sit down um, after I step down from playing the piano. And and I hear the soft snores. Mm-hmm. And instead of being angry, it soothes me. It makes my heart glad because I'm thinking, I bet you that's the first safe sleep or the only safe sleep right. he gets all week. And so instead the, of judging him, our pastor says is secure. It's secure. And I'm thinking that our students feel that way a lot of times when they come into our room and they're willing to put their head down. We see it as sometimes a, a, a disengagement, but in truth. They know no one's going to steal their stuff and nothing bad is about to happen to them even with their eyes closed. Because Mrs. Ellison has rules in place and protects every one of her students, even from themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think is important. There's a line in here and a piece that, that he talks that Dave Burgess talks about when he talks about getting to know kids' names. And on page 27, he even says, um, it is critical for students to at least know each other's names if we're trying to build an environment with a high level of rapport. Um, and I know many times, me included, I came into the same conclusion that he did here. And um, I wasn't sure how to address it, but my students didn't know each other right they didn't know the names of the people in their classroom um, except if they were best friends 
And so I thought it was um, interesting that he, well, actually, it made me feel better that he experienced the same thing. Like, okay, I'm just not, I'm not the only one who feels like a bad teacher when that happens, right? He said that a couple times that he likes to say what really happens and that, yes, he still fails sometimes, that sort of thing. And people have um, applauded him for doing so. And he said if he just says everything's wonderful all the time, then that kind of negates all the hard work and it doesn't tell you that right. even your best intentions sometimes are accidentally going to fall flat. We all, that's what it means to be a lifelong learner is that you're always going to try something and sometimes you go too far. And in order to have growth, you've got to put yourself out there. Right. And so I thought it was interesting um, that kids don't always know each other. kids don't know each other. And I think that's something that I think we need to all... Consider what we're going to do on, and I think that one of the things that I don't know that he mentions here, I can't, uh, is that um, I think a lot of times as teachers we do these wonderful community building events in the first three or four days of school, mm-hmm. and then we expect community all year long. No, it, but report report relationships have to be con- continuously built. I can't marry my husband and twenty five years later think that everything's glorious if I've never talked to him in 25 years. Well, and that's, you know, I do have friendships that pick up right where they left off, even through time and space, but that is not the norm. That's one or two people in your life. Right. And most of the time you work at the relationships around you. I keep in contact with my friends by reaching out to them, by making sure that we get time to spend together every once in a while. We get our kids together so that we can chat a bit. If you only do it at the beginning of the year, it's not going to sustain. Right. Um, I think that every so often we need to carve time. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the research says that um, class building and team building. Right. That whole class, class building should be done without content, where it's like a fun question. And it can be a two-minute activity, but it should be once a week. Right. On Mondays, when I'm taking attendance, why not have them um, get up and do like a mixed pair share or a class building something or, you know, like have a way where they, they check in for attendance. And while I'm putting some stuff into the computer, they can take two minutes and discuss something or walk around together or meet a new person um, and, and have a brief conversation. Chuck Poole in his book, um, becoming the unforgettable teacher, he says, he describes one as the monthly mingle. Mm -hmm. And so I know you know, once every week or once every two weeks, it seems like a lot for teachers, even if it's just two minutes. But the monthly mingle, um, he extends that to, I think, which would help this issue about knowing names, is that every time a kid walks around, they have to start with, my name is. Mm-hmm. And then they have to repeat the other person's name. And so I think the focus on names, and then you have the inocuous thing. And he says it's only, you know, it only takes five or ten minutes. Yeah. But he wraps it around skills. So they're writing a quick write on something. Mm-hmm. And then they get up and they talk and share about it. And then they could even, I mean, he said you can extend it further where they can now come back and make a connection with something right. or other. But the idea of monthly mingle is to have students mingle with each other. Well, I always think about, isn't that valuable whenever you have new kids? We have a yes. transient population. And, and they're coming in scared to death because they're moving and sometimes angry. Why not have something that would engage them you know, in that classroom? Kids often say that in elementary school... A lot of us have heard this. In elementary school, their teachers loved them. And in high school, their teachers loved their subject. Mm, yes. We've all heard that. And we all fall different places in how we feel about that. But, you know, a lot of the pedagogy we see in elementary school is about building rapport. 
Um, And I go back to like the Monday meetings, the whole class meetings. And that's what this is. It's the classroom community and building rapport. And I love that Dave Burgess wants to give his kids like candy or a sticker or something for knowing every kid's name in the whole class sometime in the first week. And then to, to do it again, to do some sort of team building. Every time you have a new seating chart, you know, to make them learn the names of the people right around them and say them and have a little activity with that. Every time you change seating charts, you probably should do that. Um, And as we talk about this and seeing kids and building the rapport, we've talked literally about this, where it sits here in this book and the things around it. Um, And we've talked some about some of the things we see in our own classrooms. I also want to mention from my own time as a student, because I think one of the powerful things that he says in this book, actually, in a later chapter, happens to be about putting yourself in the position of a student and writing what you feel the yes. class is like. Um, I think the more often we can put ourselves in the place of a student in our classroom and in our lesson, the more likely we are to be successful because you're thinking like a real kid who has to do this and not like the one instructing it. Think mm-hmm. about how it's going to be received. Yeah. Um, I remember... I remember my senior English class. Senior English for me in high school, I actually had two different teachers. I had a schedule change halfway through the year because of other issues. In the first half of the year, I had this very nice woman who was very Southern and proper and really knew her stuff and absolutely could help you, you know, get a high grade on that AP test. Um, And I respected her for that. However, I didn't feel like she saw me. She knew us as students in her room and she would have discussions with us about what we were reading. And so we were supposed to talk about our analysis of different books and chapters. And I can remember being an English teacher's daughter and being somebody who struggles with listening and is all about waiting to talk at that age Mm -hmm. and sometimes still now. that I was raising my hand all the time in the first few discussions and was telling her and the class every thought I had on characters because somebody was giving me space to do that. And then it came time to have the timed writing at the end of the book. And she said, nothing that was said in class discussions can be used in your timed writing. And I asked why. And she said, because it needs to be your own original thought. And I said, but what if you are the one who said it? And she said, I can't remember who said what. And I thought, I'm the only one who talked. (laughs) And now I've told you everything I had to say. And so I learned to keep my mouth shut in that classroom. Right. Because she didn't see beyond just students all through her classroom. And in the second half of the year, I had a different teacher with a very different approach who was younger um, and who I remember I turned in a project. We had this big third quarter project and we had to like study a time period with poets and uh, historical background and a novel and a, a whole bunch of analysis all on a time period. And it took a lot of work and I turned it in and when I got it back, there was a note on it that said, a lot of what you said connects to some research I have done on such and such. I thought you might be interested. And there was like a brief bit 
of something that my teacher had turned in in her master's degree program. Oh, wow. What a connection. She saw that I was interested, and I just was like blown away by this because she saw that I was interested in the topic and actually liked it and liked writing in English and, and handed me a bit of her work as a student because, the, and that's that different power to her. She, she put us on the same level there as well mm. as made me in awe of her. Um, but what yeah. a difference that makes. Right. And, and it felt so different and I was willing to do so much more in that second classroom. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that is a powerful um, idea of rapport and relationship uh, is the acknowledgement of your hard work by equating it to her work on her master's. Yeah. I mean, there's power in there that is subtle, but students pick up on that subtlety. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Linda Peters. <laughs> oh, I remember her. <laughs> Um, I think the last part of this chapter that we really have to address is the thoughts of the students. And I think you pulled up on page 30 um, the idea that um, I'm visualizing students sitting in front of me asking the silent question, Mm -hmm. why will I be successful in your class if I've never been successful before? And I think that's a very powerful question that um, many of our students have come to us with. And I think often we let them down because we either, one, don't address that question at all. Two, we are ignorant of the fact that they're having that question. Mm -hmm. Or three, we don't care about the question. Right? Um, And and any one of those... don't care, neither do they. Right. (laughs) And any one of those are... um, legitimate reasons um i i always often tell my kids to ask for what they need and they're like i don't know what i need so how can i ask for it right Mm -hmm. um i like what he says on page 31 this is another one of our bookend thinking moments which is kind of cool he says at the top of 31 it is our job as teachers to address the unspoken thoughts rattling around in the minds of our students and then i like it the earlier we do it the better I love the story he tells in here about a student who acknowledged or spoke out the idea that he was never successful. And at the end, after he got through day three, the kid said, I think I, I, think I might do well in this class. Mm-hmm. And he says, boom. Like it was, and in modern day terms, it would be like mic drop. Yeah. Because I now know. I got it. But what he says is next comes the fun part, living up to my pitch and providing a course that knocks their socks off and rocks their world. I don't think we can knock the socks off of students or rock students' world if we don't understand their socks in their world, Mm -hmm. right? Um, This is one of those instantaneous thoughts. Like when I think when we say that that knocks their socks off, we have to know what's what's enclosed in them. We have to know what, what wraps around them tightly. Um, what the sure. world is like, what their life is like, what their past has been like. And not just a set of data numbers, but a trend. Yes. Like, I love looking back at student data going, hmm, middle of seventh grade, something happened. And then it's funny when you talk to the parent. I had this happen um, at my last school, and I said, ma'am, I don't know what happened, but in the middle of seventh grade, <clears throat> something happened that caused this kid to turn from an A student to a failing student. And the mother was so engrossed in her own grief. She goes, well, that's when my boyfriend died. And I went, oh, well, that explains it. She, and it just hurt, like the light bulb came on. She and didn't she, see how it impacted her kid. Right, he was just my boyfriend. Well, how long was he your boyfriend? Like, you know, 10 years. 
Mm. I bet you that's the only father figure this kid knew. And so it was interesting to pull that up because the mom all of a sudden realized, oh my goodness, that accounts for A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? Mm-hmm. But in no fault of hers. Of course not. She was going through her own grieving process. And, and sometimes it's hard to pull out of that to see children. But once she was aware of it, she could take action. And sure. I think looking at students' histories, understanding those trends... And then addressing, I always say my, my philosophy in life about teaching is to find a need and fill a need. Mm-hmm. And I don't and know if that need is personal. I don't need know the need is emotional or if it's academic. Usually academic is based on the other two. But if I can find the need and fill the need, mm-hmm. then we can move forward. And you mentioned that often the kid doesn't know him or herself what is needed. Right. Tell me what you need and I'm here to help you. Okay, but if I don't know. Well, the kid may not have known exactly how much he or she was being impacted the kid may not have known how to ask for mom to help him you know right but instead of pushing forward and sending this ninth grader to a career center Mm -hmm. or adult center which i thought was foolish um, because i got curious and was trying to build the rapport Mm -hmm. uh, which to me was like that that empathy i was trying to find a cause that we could pinpoint or that we could address so that you could tell the kid he could be successful in your room because you were going to address his need. Right. And I think that, and, and we did, and that helped. I mean, it, let's just be honest. It's not a, it's not a, a magic wand. Right. And it every day is work. And, right. And, and, and he still had to work at a lot of things because, um, well, two years off, right? whether it's for grief or anything else, if you've checked out mentally for two years, that's going to impact you. Correct. And then getting past the whole, like he says in, this, in the text, uh, well, when, why will I be successful in your class if I've never been successful before? I think some of our students have had those moments, and, um, and we don't even know it the first week of school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead of, saying to the, instead of saying to them, I don't even think you should show up for the AP test because... Um, you've checked out all year. You haven't caught up with anything. You haven't, ca- you know. I think that we need to become more creative in our our thinking. Like pull our resources, which I think is why, regardless of the site, and this is on a, a different bandwagon here, basically. But regardless of the site, we all need support. I find it interesting that whether he, it's the teacher next door, a coach down the hall, uh, but you've got to have somebody that you can talk to and talk with about your students who also knows something about them because we can't do that we can't figure out everything in isolation and you want to build the connections with kids but I may not always know just like right. the kid doesn't know what the kid needs sometimes I may not always be able to figure it out but if I can talk it through with you you can help me see what else happens in your room and you can also just listen to the things I'm saying and help me pinpoint right. that sounds like the kid needs to be the kids somebody who learns tactilely or the kid is kinesthetic get right. him a clipboard and have him pace in the back of the room which you goes know. back to the rock your world right right so if we if we talk about knocking their socks off is getting to know what's inside of them that's mm-hmm. them rocking the world i think is providing those things that they need to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, is it is it a clipboard walking? Is it a standing desk? Is it whatever it is, finding that piece? So I think our call to action is probably, I think it's two things. One, how are you going to get students to know each other's names? Right. Right. And I think build it, that community. Correct. And then secondly, um, are you going to look or take on the task 
of being a teacher that addresses the unspoken thoughts rattling around the minds of our students. Because I think if you can do both of those things, Mm -hmm. then you will have built rapport that leads to relationships that can lead to significant learning in your classroom. And you can answer the question for them, why will I be successful in your class if I never have been before? He says, I can't start my year until I can answer that question. I think that's a great way for us to try to start our years, is to figure out how we're going to help the kids in our room be successful. We start by getting to know them, having them know each other so they can build community and support each other. And then we got to figure out what is it that they need and what's making them tick so that we can give them the learning experiences and opportunities that are going to help them succeed. Mm, I agree. So if you want to tell us your stories or talk through another part of this, uh, please, you can leave us a, a two minute or less voicemail where you talk to us about this by recording an audio message on your phone and emailing it to us at ctechpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, that's plural podcasts. You can also participate in our slow Twitter chat with the hashtag ctechpodcasts. We'll have our call to action up and you can tell us what you think. And we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Have a good day.